Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. My name is Haley, and I'm your host. Today, we're going to be joined with two dentists, Dr. Stephen Liu and Dr. Hamza Gaj. We have a conversation about the differences between private practice, corporate, working in an FQHC, and also what is different from when you graduate dental school working in the dental school clinic into really working in an actual private practice or corporate, whatever it may be, setting. So we'll get into that conversation pretty quickly here. I just wanted to do a little intro and catch you up on what's been going on in my life. So this past week was our first full week of classes for the winter term of my D1 year at University of Michigan, and I was so pleasantly surprised with how it went. Transitioning back into SimLab went a lot smoother than I thought. You really do, once you learn the basics of hand skills and holding a drill and all those simple things, they do stick with you. I was nervous that I would kind of forget the basics, but they did stick with you and the terminology that you use when you're talking to faculty that you pick up. All of that really did stick, which was really refreshing and made me really happy. And as for classes, we're in a ton of classes, 26 credits. It has to be at least 12 or 13 classes, I would imagine. But um, they're going really well. I was really presently surprised about how interested I am in them and how exciting I think they are. I know that they're really challenging and I'm going to be spending so much of my days just taking in lecture content and reviewing and studying, but it's much more enjoyable. And I think a lot of that is just because it is the start of a semester. And me as a person, I'm always very motivated at the start of a semester. And I always try to go very hard, do my very, very best at the beginning, expecting that towards the end, I might be fading away, getting a little burnt out. So I encourage you all too, if you're also in school right now to really make the most of the first couple months, the first couple exams and try to kill it on them. That way, if you get in a slump towards once it's more summer weather, getting nice outside, all of that, you have a little bit of a cushion that you've built for yourself. That's pretty much all the updates for now. I do start next week in the ACE clinic talking about periodontics in person. So I think we're going to be learning how to do profies on each other. And then in a couple weeks, I also work in our radiology clinic working on a mannequin. So that's cool to do it in addition to actual sim lab working on our typodonts and drilling and filling. So very exciting semester, really getting more into like dentistry, dentistry, and it's all really enjoyable. And I don't have many complaints for this week at least. So with all that being said, we'll get into our conversation with Dr. Liu and Dr. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. We're back with two guests today. They're back for their second time and joining us together. So we're super lucky for that. I'll let Steven introduce himself first, and then we'll go over to Hamza. Hey, guys. I'm Steven. I graduated from University of Michigan uh, back in May 2020, and now I'm working in Central California at a federally qualified health center. And it's been about two and a half months now. Um, so I've been enjoying it, and we can guess we can talk about it a little bit more after. Awesome. Hey, guys. My name is Hamza Gosh. Uh, I actually practice in Houston. I uh, graduated from Midwestern University in Chicago in 2018, so I'd be practicing for about two years now. And um, I kind of do something similar, but not in the, 
federal qualified program. I just work in lower income areas uh, at a private group uh, practice. Nice. So some of the things I wanted to have them on here for is to kind of compare different work settings once you graduate dental school, since they've been working in different environments. So what do you both recommend for new grads versus going into residency, going into corporate, going into private practice, working in an FQHC? What do you think is the best route? Hamza, do you want to talk about how you uh, chose to go work, go to work instead of residency? Uh, yeah, talk to you on that. sure. So um, I did debate doing residency versus going into work, but I think I just kind of got really anxious to kind of just jump into it. Um, I had a lot of friends that were already working. And so I kind of took the advice of a couple of them and um, I moved back to Houston right after I graduated, started working um, first with a corporate office, um, which is what most, you know, new dentists start out with um, just to kind of learn the ropes if you don't have like a relative or anything in dentistry. Uh, And it was great. I kind of was able to, gain a lot of CE. Uh, I hit the ground running, just being able to have the security of being on a um, fixed pay. So I wasn't working on production or anything. So it's kind of nice because I didn't have to stress out about that too much while I kind of uh, learned the ropes about everything. And then uh, eventually I kind of realized what I liked, what I didn't like. And that led me to where I am now, where I work with a private group practice. Um, and I'm pretty happy where I am now. And I think the good thing was I was able to learn it through the last two years, just kind of bouncing between offices and working from corporate to private. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that you're able to learn a lot, uh, especially with that CE that they pay you for. Right. Yeah. So I think, uh, some people are definitely made for corporate. Some people aren't. And I don't think that there's, um, like one or the other is better. Uh, I just think it's just a matter of personality and what you're kind of adapted to do. Um, so I think it's important that, you know, when you graduate, you just kind of try both worlds, at least if you get the chance and then figure out what suits you more. Um, and you know, they're, they're fairly different types of dentistry. Like corporate is so much different than private in terms of what you can and cannot do. And also how you can buy into the practice versus private. So I think it's worth kind of taking yeah. a look into and not, not completely like pushing one aside and thinking you're not going to be made for it. Cause you never know, like, just like with anything in the industry, you can start liking things that you thought you can start liking something that you thought you might've hated, you know, yeah. before you even tried it. Yeah. That makes so, a lot of sense. How does that compare to your experience so far, Steven? So, um, I guess I'll start up by think, uh, talking about how I was thinking about residency. Um, I wasn't going to do any specialty and I did go back and forth thinking about doing a GPR slash AEGD but um, talking to some faculty and just talking to the uh, classmates above me that graduated, they asked me what's, what's important to ask yourself is what kind of dentistry you want to do. And basically if a GPR AGD like fulfills that for you. Um, I don't necessarily want to do sedation, but it'd be cool because I would like to do implants in the future. Um, anyways, I chose to do a um, just to go straight to work because I just didn't want to be in school anymore. Um, residency isn't exactly school, but it's it's a I guess it's a curriculum or there's a pathway for you. But 
I just wanted to make that pathway myself. So I was interviewing at corporate offices and at federally qualified health centers. And I ended up choosing a federally qualified health center in California um, because it gave me a set salary. And looking back now, that was a silver lining um, graduating during the pandemic because a lot of my classmates had to change their plans. Uh, they had to go like, do a residency when they were already offered a job or they had to move states and look for um, a job back home. So plans uh, did change because of the pandemic and I wasn't affected too much. So I was, I was glad for that. It's a really awesome program. If you do get the opportunity to look into that, um, unfortunately, where I am, it was really difficult to get into the program. And even if you did, there's very limited locations. So um, I think it's awesome what he does. It's super rewarding and it definitely helps financially. If you're thinking about, you know, trying to pay back your student loans, I think that's definitely a smart way to go. So I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not on that scholarship or loan payment yet. So there's, there's so many different kinds of get, it honestly gets really confusing. Yeah, that's what uh, I was bringing like another episode, but <laughs> but um, I'm gonna apply for the two year loan repayment, which I haven't got to gone to yet. I think it opens in winter of 2021. So okay. we'll see. yeah, that's definitely but, a pretty awesome uh, program that you can qualify for. That yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I have heard this is kind of on the topic of doing a residency versus going right into work. Essentially, you're going to graduate from dental school. You're going to know very basics, but you're going to want to learn a lot more, get more experience at things. And that's why people are doing CE or doing um, a residency. So residency, you're being paid and you're learning versus CE, you're working and then doing that extra and you're paying for it. Do you Mm -hmm. see like a benefit to one way or the other? Because I feel like either way, there's like pros and cons. That's a really good question. And now that I'm practicing, you kind of feel like you don't have that much time to be learning uh, because you have to take out, you think about taking PTO and flying to another place and it interrupts your workflow. I think it's easier for me because I'm on salary, so it's fine. But if you are on someone that's on production, you'll be thinking about um, the things you you could be missing out on. But because you're on production, whatever you learn will be an instant return on your investment. Um, so there's that. I agree with what Stephen is saying. Uh, like the way I see it is there's pros and cons to both. And I think the good thing about when you're working and you kind of pick your CE, you have that freedom to kind of pick and choose what you want to do. And then, like you said, it's like a return on your investment. So like if I want to get more into implants, I have to dedicate the time and money towards implants, but I have to also have to kind of realize like, is that going to work in my office? Like in my, in my case, since I work in lower income, I'm probably not going to get that many implant cases because a lot of patients can't afford that. So I dedicate a lot of my personal CE time right now to doing a lot of pedo uh, sedation, stuff like that. And I'm definitely seeing a return on it. Um, and that's the kind of pro I see is that I can kind of uh, be a little bit more, um, choose you about what I want to do. Um, and then also just the other great thing about it is you, you're not obligated to take a specific CE. You can take literally any CE and it. It's also kind of a good excuse to kind of take a break. Um, so there's a lot of CE courses like the midwinter meeting in Chicago, which is kind of nice because 
when I, when I do go to those, I pretty much take advantage of as much CE as I can while also being in Chicago and visiting Hanging friends out. and everything. So, yeah. So it's, it's also a good excuse to kind of get out and meet other dentists and, um, kind of socialize and, uh, network with other dentists. So I think that's definitely the pro aspect of that. Um, but you know, the other pro of doing it like in residency and all those is you're getting kind of like a one-to-one, uh, specialized guide helping you the whole time. And you're pretty much paying towards that and you're getting the return on it in terms of being there every day with that person giving you hands-on experience on it, like faculty and staff helping you out. Yeah. I think something to think about too is after you get that education as with getting um, weekend CE is that you have to implement what you learn. So if you go to your residency and then right after you don't use it, you're not going to, one, get your return on investment, and two, you'll like basically forget all those things that, that you got trained to do. I'm not saying forget, but like in dentistry, you have to practice right, uh, like all the time to be able to improve your skills. Yeah, it's pretty much like working out. Like if you, you know, you can learn a workout, but if you don't continuously do it, you're not really going to get better at it or, you know, work at that specific muscle and get more refined at it. So same thing with CE when you're in private practice, like if you take all these CEs, but you don't actually like implement it in your practice or learn from it, then you're actually like completely wasting money on your courses and all that stuff. So it's definitely important to kind of make sure that whatever CE you take, you're going to actually, you know, revise it after and try to make the most of that investment later on. Completely agree. And I'm, I'm guilty of not doing that. Like my first year, I took a whole bunch of CE because I worked in a corporate practice where they gave you all these free CE courses. Um, and, you know, I'd say I wasted probably like 20 to 30 hours taking CE that I don't even use in my practice now. And luckily they were free at the time, but I could totally see how a lot of first year students could be in a private practice and get really excited to take CE. And then, mm. you know, realize later on that I never needed to take this specific CE because I don't see any patients that have I don't know, you know, like right, certain right. denture cases. So I definitely agree with what Stephen said. Do you feel like you actually learn enough through the CE for it to be ready to be brought into practice and done on patients? I know some CE courses are like hands-on, but not all of them are. So I was curious about that. For me, I haven't taken um, any CE courses yet, except for through online, through Spear. Um, here, here's an example. I have gotten the experience in oral surgery for a more invasive procedures at University of Michigan. And I didn't get to do soft tissue or uh, hard tissue uh, impacted third molars. But the first time I did it was in my FQHC. And I learned the, the ins and outs of it from a textbook. Wow. And so you felt like that you could still went into that, like, I'm going to do an okay job at this. That's yeah. Good. Okay. Um, basically from whatever you learn, you will need to go out of your comfort zone. Um, but obviously the ones that have direct uh, patient interaction, those are always the best because it's, it's different to learn something in theory and then to practice it um, in a clinical setting. But again, in a clinical setting, every person is different. So just having that 
theory is very important. I was kind of the opposite of Steven in that a lot of the CE that I've learned most from or taken the most out of were the hands-on CE. And I've always been a little bit better at kind of being a visual learner and also just like tactile learning. So even like uh, in dental school, I always like to be able to physically do it after learning it instead of like reading over it because sometimes it's hard, you know, like you can explain how to do something like even doing an extraction, but it's not till you actually feel those fibers tearing when you're doing the rotational movements and all that other stuff that you really get a grasp of what you're doing. So whenever I do see courses, if there's ever a chance that it's like a hands-on, unfortunately now with COVID, it's a lot harder to do stuff like that. But uh, if I ever do get the opportunity to do hands-on courses, I always try to go towards those. They always are, they tend to be more pricey, but for me, it's kind of like Stephen says, a return on your investment. So if I know that I'm going to get the most out of it that way, um, I tend to lean more that way. And also just in terms of paying attention, I feel like I do tend to drift off in class when it's over an hour or two. And that's just with any lecture, even in dental school, like, you know, you hit that point where you just kind of start to drift off. And when you're doing hands-on stuff, it's a lot harder because you're actually trying to follow along with the class and you're trying to listen the whole time so you're not falling behind so i think for me it's also a good way to stay disciplined and focus on what i'm doing um and like right now i'm trying to do more wisdom extractions and third molars um and unfortunately with covid it's hard to do any hands-on classes so i've been taking a lot of online ce and i'm noticing how much i miss the online aspect or the in-person hands-on aspect because i'm watching all these um videos of extractions and it's a little hard to kind of understand you know the finite things of it uh, when you don't have someone there with you kind of showing what to do what what are you using to learn um those thermal or extractions online um my doctor that i work with at one of my offices he actually took a ce course online um and he, he he just sent me like a google drive of like videos and the actual powerpoints uh-huh. um I, i'll send you the link for it okay, but it's nice. great yeah it's great because and this is for anyone listening if you guys want the uh, link i can totally send it to you but it's great because it just kind of has powerpoint slides going over everything and then it'll have a couple of videos showing what he's doing um and it's just great because you can get kind of a mix of the two but like i said the downside is you don't get that hands-on learning experience which i think for me personally is a definitely a, a plus. Yeah. I think the crazy thing when you step out of the dental school is you don't have like a faculty like next to you that yeah. you just ask and say, Hey, I don't know, really know how to uh, do this injection. Can you like come over here and yeah, basically that's, that's take also, my hand and show me, you know, it's so yeah. different. It's kind of like a handicap that you just realize you yeah, have like a yeah. sense of uh, security the whole time that if something goes wrong, you have someone right there. But I mean, you know, it's inevitable. And I think it's once you do get past that point, it definitely helps build your confidence. I think advice for dental students now, if you guys can think in a way that there is no handicap, just pretend like there's no faculty behind you in your school and it's just you and your license yeah being in dental school it's hard to imagine but if you can just think that like okay the patient comes in and there's these medications don't go ask your faculty or just don't depend on your faculty 
explaining that for you. You look it up yeah. yourself and see if it's safe enough to do so, uh, whatever procedure you're doing. Yeah. And to add to that, um, I didn't realize it till I got out of dental school. And obviously that happens for most kids, but it was always the, the strictest, meanest staff that, <laughs> or the meanest faculty that I now appreciate the most, because those are the yeah. ones that really like taught me the most and the nicest, coolest ones, as great as they were like that. I, I still love them now, but there were points where they were so nice that they wouldn't tell me important things that I should know now. Like, you know, taking really good notes after every patient, like, you know, back then it's kind of annoying cause you got to stay past clinic time and write those extra notes because you weren't approved the first time and stuff. And it was as frustrating as it was. Now I really appreciate it because that mean faculty that never left, let me leave until I had it perfect is now the one that could possibly save me from getting, you know, sued or, you know, covering my ass now from any future complications because I'm super strict about my notes and, you know, like, uh, just covering my grounds in case anything happens. And I think it's important to have faculty like that because they definitely stick with you once you graduate. Yeah. Yeah. So following along a little bit with when you're finishing up dental school and you're trying to figure out getting a job and everything, I have a few questions about that. So first being, do either of you know what's more common for a like newly hired associate if you're going to private practice? Is it, can you still possibly be on a salary or is it most likely going to be based on production? I think most, most places private practice are going to pay you on a uh, minimum based salary. Uh, for example, like 500 to 600 a day. And then anything after that is a percentage of your productions or collection. Um, you want production because you want to be paid for whatever you do, not what the office takes back, because that's not your responsibility. That's my that's my opinion on it, because all dentists have different opinions on that. But that's my opinion. Um, in federally qualified health centers, it's very common to be on a salary. Yeah, for me, I, I agree. Um, I started off in corporate and. I think it's same with corporate and private that you start off either the first couple of weeks or the first couple of months on a salary. So fixed pay, like you said, 500 to 600, and then eventually you uh, transition to production. Um, I was lucky with my first private practice or my first corporate office because they had six month uh, guaranteed pay every day, which was about 600 a day, which is great because, you know, get starting off, you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to see that many patients. I don't know how this office is. So you just kind of have that safety net, but I will tell dental students now or anyone that's about to graduate, do not rely on that because that's definitely, it's not good in dentistry in general to feel comfortable. And I think it's definitely something I learned over time because you don't want to, you eventually realize that you can make over that guarantee. Like you can definitely produce more and do more. Um, and if you get too comfortable with that, then you can tend to become lazier over time and realize kind of just, you know, not push yourself to do as much because you feel like, Oh, it's okay. I'm going to make that guarantee every day. But I think it's good to either work on production or as soon as you can try to get out of it. Um, just because you want to kind of motivate yourself and push yourself to just be a more productive dentist. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, charge the patients as much as you can or anything like that, but try not to like 
underdiagnosed just because you're feeling like, oh, it's okay. I don't have to do this many fillings today because I'm already going to make this much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I noticed with a lot of dentists that I worked with in those corporate offices. They kind of lost their fire in them just because they got a little bit more comfortable. Um, and that can definitely affect you when you want to go to another office because they'll look at your resume or they'll ask you, you know, what have you been doing in the past? And if they realize you haven't really been doing much work in terms of like endo extractions, all this other stuff, it's definitely going to hinder you and make it harder for you to find a job down the road. Yeah, that's something um, that's prevalent in my type of practice because it's salary based. So I have started to think that like, oh, you know, when the last patient doesn't show up, it's great because I still get paid either way. And sometimes I want just easy Mondays and easy Fridays, you know, and for at my clinic, um, I think Hamza, you see a lot of, a lot of patients at your uh, office too. Uh, how many columns do you have? Um, it depends on the day and the office. Cause I work at five different offices in Houston, but, um, on a busy day, it'll be about three columns on a, yeah. yeah so yeah, so I have three columns too, and we see up to 16 to 20 patients a day. There's kids, yeah. profies, operative. And when you're just bouncing around all the time, yeah, you just want to break sometimes. And yeah, over time, if you're you have, new graduates should understand the type of compensation they, they're getting because, like Hamza said, it trains you to think a certain way, right? You, yeah. People can argue for my type of job. It trains you to think that like you're okay. You can be, you can, uh, you can just take things slow because you get paid to whatever, whatever, you know, if you, you know, work fast, you're just overworking yourself. So that is a, is a con that can happen in uh, a salary based um, compensation. So if someone asked you for advice, how do I get the job I want when I'm graduating? What would you tell them? All right. So for me coming out of it, it's definitely overwhelming just because you're trying to figure out like whether you want to go corporate, private, um, you know, anything else. Uh, so what I first did was I talked to a dental student that graduated before me, who I considered kind of like a mentor even when I was in dental school. And this is for any dental student listening. Like if you can find a mentor, whether it's a dentist or a dental student, it's always nice to have one just as long as you can, just because, or have as many as you can, just because it's nice to get someone to kind of guide you along what they went through. Um, so what he recommended to me was to make an Excel spreadsheet and just have a list of questions that like you really think are important for yourself, like things that you really want in your personal practice. Um, and then he also gave me some questions. And again, if anybody needs any advice on this, I can send them my Excel spreadsheet, but it was kind of basic stuff. Like what's the base pay going to be like, is it going to be production or collection? Um, how many patients do you see a day on average? What's your slowest they look like stuff like that. And then when you have that spreadsheet, you can kind of go to all these different interviews and the pro of it is when you go to all these offices and have these questions ready, I think dentists appreciate that because they kind of like that you know what you want and you have a kind of clear mind and focus. Um, and they take that into account. And then on top of that, you're getting the benefit of kind of getting the exact answers you want instead of just going in there and having them ask you questions. Um, because at the end of the day, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Like you're trying to figure out 
if you're the right fit for their office as much as they are for you. So it's good to have questions for them to answer um, because you're going to be the one working for them and making them money. So you might as well realize like if you're uh, the right fit for them. Um, so that's how I kind of figured out where I wanted to end up. And even with my first job, I didn't really get the most in terms of um, I would say that I don't regret being in that office, but I definitely I'm happy that I transitioned out of it, but that's just part of the learning experience of being a dentist is the first job you have is not going to be, I mean, it's very rarely the last job you have. So just keep that in mind um, that you might transition from office to office over the first year or two, but that's not a bad thing. That's just you trying to figure out what the right fit for you is. It's interesting because once you graduate dental school, I think dentists see you more of a threat um, because your competition now. So, I mean, I haven't experienced this myself, but now I'm listening to podcasts and listening to other dentists. They like on Facebook groups and stuff. Um, I don't think they see pre-dental students, not pre-dental, uh, pre-doctorate students as threats. So they're very welcoming to those type of students. So if you're in dental school right now, I encourage you to just go out and meet uh, the dentist of like the place that you want to work out that uh, work at and the type of dentistry you want to do because they can just might as well be your mentor and hire you afterwards. Um, I know a lot of some of our faculty at university of Michigan hire um, some of the students that graduate. So yeah, I definitely suggest to network early as a uh, pre-doctorate student. That's a really good tip. I didn't even really think about that. So thank you. Um, another thing I was wondering, is negotiation really a thing when you're a new dentist and you're um, looking for jobs? Like, how do you know if you're settling or if the offer you have is like fair and realistic for your lack of experience? Again, I kind of did what he said. I networked with my mentors. I kind of shared the information I was getting at all the offices and then they kind of gave me feedback on what I should bring up or what I should negotiate. Um, and I also had a, I was lucky enough to have a friend who's a lawyer and he kind of looked over my contracts, um, and told me like what's worth renegotiating and what's worth just leaving as it is. Um, and it's always, you know, it's, there's no harm in trying to renegotiate if you can. Um, if you feel like you might serve more, you know, or you might deserve more in a certain aspect. Um, there's no harm in trying because at the very worst, they're just going to say no. Uh, and then you're just, you're still at where you were, at, you know, the starting point. So it won't make a difference. Um, and there are a lot of contracts with corporate offices that I've noticed that they try to not trick you, but they, they kind of realize that some new grads don't even look over the contract. And there's certain things that you have to keep in mind, like, you know, your um, the distance for, um, the non-compete and all that. And, you know, if you're in a small city and you have like a 10 mile radius or something like that, and they have five or six offices in that city, it can definitely affect where you work at after that. So you have to really look at all that kind of stuff and keep that in mind because you don't want to screw yourself up in the future when you're trying to find another office and you can't Mm -hmm. do certain things because of that contract. And that's just something that I learned through my mentors and through the lawyer looking over stuff like that. And there are classes you can take at dental school and CE, which help with that kind of stuff, which I think dentists really need to do is like just learn contract 
um, language and how to kind of uh, understand that stuff. Hamza, what do you think the minimum uh, pay that a new grad should be worth? Like the bare minimum? Um, I mean, I think the average I saw on all my first interviews were between uh, 500 to 600. So, I mean, I think at the very least 500 is reasonable um, just because they have to take into account, you know, um, our loans and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming it varies state by state, but yeah. in Texas, I think the the minimum is about 500 because I never saw anything below that. So how, much is, how much is 500 for salary? I think 120,000 if it's five days a week, but. I don't know. Yeah, how yeah it's about, it. it's about, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, if you look online, like the average pay rate of a dentist or in Google or whatever, like I think 120 is about like the, the very baseline. So I think they probably go off that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's safe. But like Hamza said, you really want to push yourself. Um, by six months, you'd be more than good. You know, yeah. I think a couple months in, I'm like totally getting into the flow of things now and i think it looks attractive at first when you look at it because you're a dental student just getting out and like this is the first time you're seeing numbers like that um, but over time as you work you can kind of realize that you have the potential to make more and do more um, mm-hmm. so try not to let that number get to you or stay in your head too much um, try to look beyond that and also yeah. you know focus on what you can do for patients because the more you do, the more beneficial it is for you and your patients. I think in Michigan, they trained uh, the students well because we have like a point system. Um, oh, yeah. And each procedure is worth a certain amount of points, similar to a cash value, basically. So if okay. you have a three-hour appointment, if you do more fillings in a day, then you get more points. So that's, you know, that's that more production yeah. in the real world. Um, how was it at your school? Ours was definitely, we're going through like a weird transition period where they're changing a lot of policies. I honestly don't remember specifically what it was like, but I know that you had to do a certain amount of each uh, procedure to be considered, you know, um, competent competent for that year or quarter. Um, Mm -hmm. So there was kind of like a, like people knew what the bare minimum amount was of each procedure, but we didn't know like what the specific, like they never really gave us a direct, um, number of everything um which i you know wasn't a fan of but i think it was just a weird uh transition time Mm -hmm. Uh, but i agree with that i think it is good that you have a point system because then it kind of gives you an idea of how much you should do and also the value of everything awesome so that actually kind of nicely leads into the next thing i thought we could talk about tonight and that's about dental school like d3 d4 year when you're up in clinic and how working with faculty in dental school compares to going out and working in a real practice. I'll let either of you go in on that one. What I learned from my friend who graduated before me, he was saying that there was this one faculty that was like constantly mean to him. Um, He was a specialist. And then once he graduated, he became a general dentist and this faculty was super nice to him now because specialists actually rely on the general dentists for referral. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But um, being at school, everybody has a different way of teaching. And like Hamza said before, you can learn um, a lot from the 
faculty that are harsh. Um, I mean, I did have some faculty that were uh, harsh and did not make me feel good <laughs> after the appointment. And it would really bring my self-esteem and my day down. And I honestly did avoid working with those faculty. Uh, but other than that, I did try to work uh, with as many faculty as possible in the beginning to understand who I worked best with and who I learned the most from. Um, so I stuck with those faculty as time went on. I guess in terms of the major differences, I would say that a lot of uh, students I know kind of got really comfortable in dental school, kind of realizing that like we are lucky and that a lot of our patients just are handed to us. Um, and the personality aspect is not that important. And I've realized now working in private practice that your personality really goes a long way in terms of not only networking, but also just having patients stay with you because you realize when you're working in the dental mm -hmm. clinic, a lot of those patients come to you out of necessity. Like they have no other choice when you work in private practice or corporate office, they can go to literally anyone in that 10 mile radius of you. Like the fact that they're coming to you is a luxury that you should really appreciate. And so every patient that comes to you needs to be treated with um, a, a lot of appreciation that they're there. So you have to kind of ad adapt to knowing that you have to not only make the patient feel comfortable when they're with you, but also show them why they should value com coming to you as to as opposed to the dentist that's right across the street from you because we all know that you can drive down a road in any neighborhood and you'll see probably four dental practices within like mm -hmm. a couple of miles from each other you know it's basically like starbucks and all you have to do even me you know trying to look for a dentist in a new city like it's it's usually just a matter of what i look for on google and who has the most positive reviews um, so I think it's important for dental students to realize that, that like the patients you're seeing right now, you're getting those handed to you by the dental school. But when you get out, you're going to have to work for those yourself, or at least, um, work hard to maintain the ones that you do have. Oh yeah. Like patients, they don't know what is being done in their mouth. Uh, look in the mirror, they just, they know how yeah. it feels, how you treated them when you first walk into the room. Right. And that's what brings them back. You know, if you were kind of rude to them and if you're like annoyed at them, they won't feel good and they'll just be like, you know, I didn't really like that dentist. And no matter how good of a job you did and you might have might have had the best restoration margins, good anesthesia, actually good anesthesia does tie, in, tie into patient satisfaction, but yeah, they can just easily go to someone else. Right. One of my faculty always used to say, it's not about how the patients feel when you're working on them. It's about how you make them feel, which is basically what you said. It. It's mm -hmm. just, it's true. Like, you know, like you can be the roughest person with them, but if you're constantly asking about their kids and showing, you know, effort into remembering that it's their birthday this month, you know, that definitely goes a long way because they'll sacrifice that little bit of discomfort just knowing that every time they go in the office, they can have like a real conversation with you yeah. and enjoy their experience in the office. You know, it takes, it takes work to do that. And not every yeah. dentist is that kind of dentist. Um, I know for me, I actually try to write down 
something specific about that patient in my notes. You know, I don't do it for every patient because it's hard to, but that's what I strive to do, to write like a social note. Oh, this patient just got hired at their job and they're like starting soon. So next time I'll just ask, oh, how's your job going? You know, and it's little things like that that make them feel more connected. And that's what I really enjoy about the dentistry aspect anyways, to know your patients. Right. And I think that's also why we have those intense interviews when we're first getting into dental school, because they're trying to figure out if, I mean, I, I, I personally think that might be why. I don't know if that's specifically the reason, but I think your personality plays a huge role on being a dentist. And, you know, we work so hard to get all those grades and do well clinically and stuff. But I feel like that's 40% of dentistry when you get out. The rest of it is like communication and like making that effort to build the relationship with your patients. Um, and that's unfortunately something you don't really learn in dentistry and like in terms of cl- in dental school, in terms of classes, it's something you kind of pick up off watching your faculty and just mm-hmm. lo- doing it yourself. Yeah, actually, uh, that's a good point you made at the uh, last part of your sentence about watching your faculty. I remember one of my faculty, Dr. Zamler, shout out to Dr. Zamler at University of Michigan. His way of presenting a treatment plan was so like, so caring that people, like patients, one, they saw what they needed, and two, they felt super cared for. And I, I told them after um, talking to the patient one day, I said, wow, like Dr. Zamler, you are an amazing clinician, and I want to be like you in the way you treat your patients, you know? So, yeah, you can pick up a lot from each faculty, and yeah. I think that's the great thing about dental school is that you are not taught one way. Once you're in clinic, you get to see how other people do things and you can pick up on what works for you and what doesn't work. So another thing I had more of a specific question about, and I guess in relation to working in the dental school versus when you're out in practice, do you feel as though you have more autonomy or less with getting to treatment plan and maybe choice over materials that you're using. Um, it probably depends private versus corporate and everything too, but I was curious about that as well. At my clinic, I have a lot of autonomy. Um, it's basically whatever I'm comfortable with doing. Um, there isn't any type of lecture that I started with from, you know, the company saying that oh, this is, you know, the way we do things It's more so how we, bill out certain procedures and how it works with insurance and stuff, but nothing along the terms of, all right, you need to hit this amount of crowns, this amount of endo, um, have this amount of production or anything really. So at an FQHC, you, I have a lot of uh, autonomy. So that's, I felt scary at first to basically be in the hot seat and, just have all of dental school run through your mind when you're sitting in the chair and for like 30 seconds and treatment plan everything right away. So there's that. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great though to have that autonomy. Yeah. So with me, um, I started off in a corporate practice where I didn't have a lot of autonomy and I really started 
not liking that. And that, that was one of the reasons I ended up leaving the corporate office um, was because the owner was kind of um, micromanaging me in a lot of aspects of things. And I didn't agree with a lot of the treatment plan um, ethics of it and whatnot. And so that definitely swayed me to leave the office and go more to private. And I'm not saying that's like that for every corporate office. I think, you know, it definitely depends on where you are. Um, but I think that's very important when you are looking for a practice is having some basic um, base of autonomy is very important because not only does it teach you how to make your own treatment plan and get better at it over time, but you're, you're not getting reliant or dependent on someone else to help you with that. So along with that too, it doesn't sway your treatment plan options to be a certain way. Like, you know, in the corporate office I was at, it was very, um, it was very money dependent. So a lot of the treatment plans were kind of focused on doing more to make more off the patient. And I wasn't very happy about that. Um, because obviously in dental school, we're taught not to do stuff like that. So I think if you stay in something like that long enough and you kind of give into it, it can definitely affect how you treat my plan for the future. And it can definitely affect what you've learned in dental school. And I don't fault people for going that way because sometimes it's just a matter of once you're in there long enough, you just, your brain, you just kind of get, uh, kind of, t- you just adapt to learning that way. Mm-hmm. And if you push yourself to be independent and make the treatment plans based on what you've learned in dental school, what you know is right, what you know is true. Um, it's beneficial to you and it's beneficial to patients because they trust you. And if they learn later on that I could have got the same treatment plan done at another dental office for way cheaper and I was getting overcharged here, it can definitely affect you because you know, with the internet word can spread like that. And it can definitely affect your, not only your practice, but you as a dentist, uh, your reputation. So I think it's important to have that autonomy and also to have that, um, that basic concept of treatment planning based on what you know is right. Yeah. Yeah. Haley, there is, there's a lot of cowboy dentistry out in the real world. Right. I was at this one office. Um, I was shadowing my, friend who graduated and he left that office because his um another associate was putting a crown on a uh tooth that already cracked i mean no no like i had a vertical root fracture after a root canal and still put a crown on it that's that's supposed to be extracted but yeah the owner let it fly because you still get money from it you know, mm-hmm. so that's not what you learn in dental school. And that's not what you would do for your family member either. So, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of cowboy dentistry out here. Yeah. And you'll come across it too in your practice when you do start seeing other dentists. And of course, like I try never to throw another dentist under the bus if I do see mm-hmm. something, but it's hard to fix stuff like that. And then it also sucks because, you know, that's how some that's how dentists get bad reputations in general is if you do something like that, it not only affects that dentist, but it affects all of us because exactly. people tend to trust us less. So just try to keep that in mind that whatever you do is like you're holding dentistry responsible for, and it's like a lot of pressure, but it's also like a good way to kind of keep your mind straight and realize that what you're doing does have an impact on dentistry in general. 
Oh, thank you guys. That was really good insight. Um, So jumping to our final topic we wanted to talk about, which is both of you are very active on your dental Instagram pages. So one thing I was really curious about is how do you draw the line between what you want to post for showing aspects of your personal life versus keeping things professional dental related? I'll let my boy jump rope legend go first <laughs> oh no not the soccer guy you can start no no <laughs> no i can't even compare um i think i'm i don't know if i mentioned this in the last podcast with you Haley, but um for i actually turned my personal instagram and converted it to a uh, professional one um i don't know if everybody does this but I just like to use, first of all, I just like to use one account. Um, I mean, I don't share everything, but I've noticed that when I was sharing more of my personal life, like you do, Haley, on your vlogs, that it just seems more genuine to the audience and people connect with you more. Um, I used to not connect with other um, Instagrammers as much, and that's what I noticed how I was doing dentistry, I'm um, not dentistry, uh, social media, quote unquote, wrong, is that you're supposed to connect with other people and your audience, um, your other colleagues. And this is, I mean, that's how I got connected with you two, right? Is through the social media. So uh, for drawing a line, I, I feel like I haven't really like set a certain boundary because I haven't come across something that had made me question it um but i don't know about you guys have you guys had to face that type of uh, issue um so for me it was kind of the same thing with you i basically turned my personal into like a mix of both um and it was kind of mostly just to do with laziness i just didn't really feel like starting back up and you know making a professional one and a personal one i just figured it's kind of easier to have the two because a lot of my dental life and my personal life is interrelated. Like for instance, like I work with figs and they, you know, are a scrubs company and I wear a lot of that stuff in a lot of my photos I'm wearing it. So I kind of figured that, you know, those two just combine easily. And then on top of that, I feel like a lot of my patients really enjoy that. Like not only have I been able to connect with my patients outside of, um, dentistry just on you know shared hobbies and activities but also i've gained patience through it that way because people will reach out to me and say like hey i really love that you know you seem like this really chill dentist that kind of has a personality outside of dentistry and you know i'd like to come see you if that's okay or could you give me a, a second opinion on this and i'll talk to them and that way you can actually gain patience just from just being yourself which is great yeah. So I think it's cool because it's kind of like I said earlier, you want to kind of make the patients feel better and more comfortable. And I think a big part of social media is you can give that to them digitally in terms of them just seeing who you are in terms of your personality, your humor, um, you travel, stuff like that. And it's cool because sometimes I'll see a patient in the office then and they'll be like, oh, I saw you traveled here. Um, I'm actually from there. And, you know, you can just develop an easy conversation like that just based on a picture you took um so i thought that was pretty cool and that's why i kind of decided to kind of merge the two uh because i just felt like if i had a professional one not only is it just more work 
for me being lazy, but also I feel like my patients would just see that professional part and not get an idea of who I was or a sense of who I was. And it wouldn't really uh, add to that kind of uh, comfort factor for them. So you kind of already answered my other question, which was about, do you think patients appreciate you sharing aspects of your real life? And I definitely think they do. And that's brought you more patients, even in some cases. But I was also wondering, how do you think employers or practice owners view these new dentists that have these like Instagram followings and are sharing so much? Has your employer commented anything about that? Hamza? Um, for, for me, I think we're, I'm lucky to work in a group practice of like pretty cool people. I actually like know outside of dentistry and are actually like, like people I would hang out with outside of dentistry. Um, and then in terms of the staff, I would say that it definitely like for, for instance, right now, the only thing I can see as being like a major con of it is oversharing certain things like politics and, um, also just COVID like, you know, being that we're in a pandemic right now, if, us as staff see one of our staff members out partying or at a club, that's definitely not a good thing to see. And that's not a good thing to share because then you're going to come to the office the next day and potentially put all of us at risk, not only like our staff and our patients too. Um, so that's definitely something I would say to keep in mind is anything you do on social media is obviously can affect your work, no matter what work you're in. So you definitely want to kind of keep that, uh, responsibility in mind and as a professional like the fields we're in we're even held to a higher regard in terms of like being doctors and having a certain reputation and I think it's nicer now because a lot of things are being disregarded like you know women in bikinis like that's ridiculous like that's something that should never have been an issue but I think there are certain things like if you're gonna go get drunk in public or act up or anything like that if your patient does see that unfortunately that can affect how they see you and how they feel coming to you. If like, let's say they don't agree with that lifestyle or they don't feel comfortable seeing as it's a pandemic right now and stuff. So I think it's something to keep in mind for sure. Um, especially when you work in a group practice with other people, like you have to keep that in mind that your, your responsibilities are upheld by the entire office too. I don't have too much comment on that because I don't know. I don't know how my company would view it. Because I guess, um, I don't know, I, I feel like as an individual, all the things I post are of my own and are my own thoughts, not a representation of my company or my office. Um, but, you know, sometimes people do have to put those disclaimers because no matter what, you're still affiliated with that um, company. Like, that's how a lot of people that are caught on those um, racist videos this year to get their um, job taken away. And yeah, your company does not stand with certain views and people still need to understand that. So I agree with Hamza. Do you think it's possible that in the future of dentistry with social media continuing to grow, like your social media following could help you get a job? Do you think like certain dentists would Mm. be excited about that? I think so, for sure, because um, all the dentists I see on Instagram now are constantly interacting with each other, and there is a, a big national meeting um, that happens every year. It's called Dental DIA, Dental Influencers Alliance, 
And it's anyone who's an influencer through dentistry that goes to this event and it's podcasters, Instagrammers, YouTubers, stuff like that. And awesome. I, I think especially, I know definitely we should totally go. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this new generation of dentists, like our generation and the generation that just uh, graduated in the last 10 years, um, is really adapting to using social media as an advantage. And they know how to use it. They know how to use, uh, use it to get more patients, um, represent their brand. And I think Instagram is huge for representing your brand. And I think these dentists would really value what you can bring um, with your social media following because it's a unique brand that could be combined with theirs. And um, yeah, I, would, it's, I think it's definitely going to grow and get big. Yeah. So to go on top of what he said, um, I've, I think it's, it's amazing. And I think like, it's something that dental students now should really consider as being like a, an extra avenue to take advantage of because you can not only share your work and, and like, you know, kind of show off your work in that regard, um, because that not only helps with patients seeing your work and wanting to come see you, but also other dentists seeing your work and network with you or just get tips from you and you collaborate and get ideas from. Um, and then on top of that, like I've had dentists like offer me um, a job or like stuff like that. And I think it's cool that like a, a social media account can give you that opportunity to find a better job somewhere if you're ever interested in it. Um, and like, you know, for example, meeting both of you, I would have never had this opportunity to be on this podcast if it wasn't for Instagram. So I think if you take advantage of it when you can, you can really get see a lot of return from it. And it's, again, going back to Stephen's whole getting a return on your investments. It's like, luckily now with the pandemic, we have nothing but time to focus on things like this because we're not really traveling or doing much. So if you can build your online presence and kind of take advantage of that, you can definitely see a return on it in terms of dentistry and um, your business in general. Uh, so I, I think it's awesome. And, you know, it's, it's something you can definitely, you need to learn how to balance because it can definitely consume you and take advantage of you. So it's, it's all about balance, just like anything else in dentistry. Yeah. Props to you, Haley, you, you've been doing Instagram, your podcast and YouTube and you're in dental school. That's freaking hard. So yeah, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. It's a nice break from school stuff. So I really enjoy it, but this has been a great talk. I wanted to see if either of you have any final closing thoughts you want to get out to listeners tonight. Yeah. I I just want to leave some final notes about um, FQHCs. Um, at my FQHC, you can do a lot. You can do crowns, bridges, endo, removable extractions. And they're all FQHCs aren't just extractions and fillings. So if people are, are interested in that, it's a really good opportunity. It's basically like a residency, but you get paid general as a general dentist salary. So I just wanted people to know that. Um, I guess my closing thoughts aren't as educational as Stevens. I would just say if you ever feel like too uh, intimidated to reach out to dentists on Instagram or like, you know, you, you feel scared to like, 
don't, you know, like, it's like I said, like, there's no point in just not giving it a shot. And at the very least, you don't get anything out of it. Um, like, for instance, I reached out to Steven and I just told him, I was like, hey, man, I really love your content. Um, you seem like an awesome dentist. And we just started talking from there. Um, and same thing with Haley. So I think it's really important to kind of put yourself out there as a dentist once you get out, because the more you put yourself out there and talk to other dentists, the more you learn not only in the dental field, but also just building your own network in general. Uh, and it's nice because you can uh, collaborate on ideas like Steven and I have talked about dentistry. We've talked about things outside of dentistry and it's cool to kind of just learn little things that you never thought you would have known about um, just through strangers that, you know, you probably would have never come across otherwise. Yeah, we we so, both love Batman. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, video games and all that other stuff. And it's like, it's cool because the awesome thing about dentistry, I feel like it's, it's a very communal profession. And like Steven said, there are unfortunately people out there that are competing and stuff. But if you try to be more of a team player, you'll definitely see a return out of it because they will, whatever you give to other dentists, you will get back in some way or another. So try not to be the competitive dentist, try to be the one that kind of reaches out and offers a hand when you can, or, ask for a hand when you can like try don't don't be too scared to do that awesome. awesome well thank you both so much this has been great thanks Haley. thanks Haley. Awesome. thanks for having us when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, that is the end of our conversation with Dr. Liu and Dr. Gaj. Make sure you check out their Instagrams and feel free to reach out to them if you have any questions. They're both incredibly helpful and both relatively newer in their journeys into dentistry. So they get it. They get dental school. They get the struggles. They get the struggles of adjusting into practicing outside of a dental clinic. So feel free to reach out to them if you have any questions at all. Next week, our episode is going to be another guest, Dr. Ravan. He is a periodontist out in California, and he has a really unique story because he has been working in dentistry for so long. He's had different things that he maybe regrets or wishes he did differently, lots of lessons he's learned, and we talk about coming from France to California, how he started practicing here, what his practice setup looks like, and I think you'll all find it to be very interesting, and you'll learn some good lessons because he does love mentoring and guiding dental students and new dentists. So on that note, I will talk to you all next Monday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 